you were listening to the Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. When we think of church buildings, we think of a sacredness, a holy space, from carpet to ceiling, altar tables, stained glass windows, pianos and soundboards, kitchen spaces and pews are all brought up on par to be as revered as the Almighty. But what if they are not? What if we are to love people more than things? Today's faith journey for Cumberland Road is with Reverend Emily Trapp Young. She co-pastors at Allsboro Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Alabama with her husband, Ryan. She is also a coordinator at a nonprofit called Room in the Inn for those who are experiencing homelessness and are needing emergency shelter. Emily shares what it is like for her growing up in the church and experiencing a call to ministry as a young adult. She also talks about what it is like to move away from holding the church buildings as something fragile and wearing them out for others. Enjoy this faith conversation with Emily Trapp Young. Emily, tell me about Room in the Inn. What is it? How does it work? Okay. Well, um, Room in the Inn was started in the 80s in Nashville by a wonderful human being named Father Charlie Strobel. And the basic part of Room in the Inn is providing hospitality to those experiencing homelessness. So with Room in the Inn, it's usually in the winter months, November through March, and churches, congregations open up their doors, open up their buildings when they're normally closed and provide a meal and provide a warm building for our friends to spend the night. And they provide fellowship. And in the morning, coffee is a necessity and breakfast. And then we bring them back normally to downtown. Um, And we do that throughout the winter months so that uh, these these people will have a safe and warm space to spend the night. Um, I have been a part of Room in the Inn since college. I probably my senior year of college, I was at University of Memphis and um, I was at the burrito ministry downtown. And one of my friends invited me to come to Colonial Cumberland Presbyterian Church because after burrito ministry, they were doing Room in the Inn. Had you heard? And I didn't know what it was. Yeah, I was about to ask, had you heard of Room in the Inn before? No, I had never heard of this. I'd never heard of this. Um, I was just in my last semester at college. I graduated in December. And so I was in my last semester of college and I was kind of, if anybody had asked me at that point what I wanted to do with my life, I just said I wanted to travel the world in a hot air balloon because I didn't want to answer big (laughs) questions like that. So you were putting people off. Yes, I kept putting people off, but I kept searching myself. I just didn't want to talk to anybody else about it. So what were you majoring in at the time? Um, (laughs) I was majoring in Spanish. Okay. And I think in my heart, I thought I would be a missionary one day. Okay. Um. And so I was majoring in Spanish, but I was minoring in British literature. And originally I was majoring in interior design because I thought I would be on in trading spaces, but you know, that didn't happen. So, um, so I just said yes to this, this friend. I just said, sure, let's go. And I went to Colonial Cumberland Presbyterian Church and I sat down and ate with people that I would not normally sit down and eat with. and. Then we played a game of spades and I'm a very competitive card player and um, 
they kicked my butt. <laughs> and so, um, and then I helped with the clothes closet there and I helped people pick out things that they couldn't normally pick out. And, um, I just remember it being just transformational for me where I was just like, I could do this. This, this is, this is something that brings me joy. And this is something that I see, um, just the kingdom of God right here in front of me, like, and I'm watching it with my eyes and I'm just ready to be a part, like put me in. All right. Going back to that time, what was your perception of the homeless in the mid South area of the United States prior? Well, so growing up in Memphis, I was, um, a part of a Cumberland Presbyterian church, Olive Branch Cumberland Presbyterian church. And, um, I remember when I was very young, we weren't in Olive Branch yet. So we were first CP of Memphis. And, um, I remember my mom would volunteer our van to be the one that would take all of the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches downtown to the soup kitchen to feed the homeless. And a little known fact about me is that I hate peanut butter and jelly. And I know that's weird, but it's just a part of it. And I used to hate having to sit in the back of that van (laughs) and smelling it. But my older brother kept wanting to open all of it and eat it all because he loved peanut butter jelly. And I just remember that, that being my, my um, introduction to um, people experiencing homelessness was being four or five, very young and sitting in a van filled with peanut butter and jelly and taking it downtown. And then later in high school, because I was in West Tennessee, we would do um, a spring retreat called Urban Plunge. And for people who aren't familiar with that, instead of us going to our campground for senior hires, we would go to Memphis and we would stay either in a church or in um, like a bunk building and we would do ministry in Memphis. And one of those was the burrito ministry. And so since I was like 14, I had been at least once a year, if not more, going downtown and making burritos and passing out water bottles and cookies and um, seeing these people. And so I had been around it, but not a lot. Mm. And I always, in the back of my brain, thought, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to go to a Spanish-speaking country and do mission work. And then over the years, I realized, oh, maybe the mission field for you is your backyard. Maybe it's not overseas or wherever. So Very true. Well, and your knowledge of language can serve you here in the United States. Yes, it can. It can. So how are you connected to Room in the Inn now? Now, um, I am living in Cherokee, Alabama, in a small community called Allsboro. And my husband and I are serving together at the Allsboro Cumberland Presbyterian Church and recently, I found out that the bigger, the biggest city near us is um, Florence, Muscle Shoals area. And I recently found out that they also have a room in the inn. And so I reached out to their director this summer. I just wrote them an email and said, hey, you don't know me, but um, I, worked, I worked with Memphis Room in the Inn and I volunteered with them. And combine those together was about eight, 10 years. So use me. I love this. Um, Let me be a part. And um, we went and had coffee and we talked. And she said that she was actually looking to hire her 
first staff members because she needed help. And this season, this November was their 10th season being open. So 10 years she's been doing it pretty much solo. And she finally, I mean, with volunteers, of course, and everything, but she finally, the um, nonprofit had enough funds for help. And so I got hired on as an intake coordinator. And what I do is I communicate with the churches that host in the area and I make sure that they're um, good to go. They have enough cots and they have dinner provided. They have enough volunteers. Um, And I also, um, every night we host, every night we're open, I go down to Florence and I am a part of the intake with the guests where we talk with the guests, we see if they would like to come and we transport them to said congregation each night. So how many nights does the uh, Florence area provide shelter for the homeless through room in the end? Right. So this season um, they're still working their way back from COVID. And so this season we are providing four nights a week of shelter. Um, However, this week is very cold. And so we are doing emergency nights through the whole week. Um, And we keep an eye on the weather. And if it is an emergency night, we have churches on standby to call in and make it happen. So that's, that's another part of the gig. Okay, with your service with Room in the Inn, what has been the biggest draw? What has spoken to you the most, just as Emily is a person and also your faith? For me as a person, I think that just realizing that we are not that different, that it is through circumstances or choices. Um, But one thing I've noticed throughout this ministry is that sit people down in front of warm food, good food, and you can become best friends. Um, And you can see where you can see people for who they are. You can see them as a child of God. And um, that probably the communal aspect of it, the the kingdom building aspect of it, where you just get to know one another and be a companion to them, um, that has really just been a big part for me. There's something about sharing space around the table and food that levels the playing field. Yes. Not that life is a game, but it just kind of, it draws you in with this commonality of, of a shared time, a shared experience. A conversation can happen that way. Yes. And community has always been a big part for me. Um, and I think that's why I chose to follow the call to be a pastor because um, my family is very, very small. I have never, um, I don't remember my grandparents. They all passed away either before I was born or when I was very young. I don't have any cousins. I don't have, I have two uncles, that's it. And I have a brother and my mom and dad. And so for me, church became family. And every Sunday morning at First Cumberland Presbyterian Olive Branch, I got to see my family. And I had um, my parents both sang in the choir. And so I sat with a lady and she became my grandmother. Um, And I had cousins through it. And 
and I have aunts and uncles and I was definitely raised by a village. And so the <laughs> church aspect of community has just been so profound and important for me and my faith journey. Emily, for those that aren't faith connected or didn't, didn't grow up in the church at all, how would you share and how would you describe that, that family aspect that you experienced in the church to someone that has no, no reference point? I know that um, we receive unconditional love from God. And sometimes in the spaces that I have been blessed with to be a part of, I can see that unconditional love come through others towards me. Um, and I've experienced that. And so I guess even though we're humans and we make mistakes, I have seen people, I've seen my congregations that I've been a part of, I've seen people at Room in the Inn um, pass that fallible barrier and enter into the I'm going to embrace you with unconditional love, just like God would. So even when you were smaller and you were doing mischievous things in the oh, church, yeah. there was a church family member that filled the role yes. of a parent or yes. a grandparent. Yes. Even then, um, when I was younger, I was at the church if the doors were open. My family was there all the time. And so there were many times where <laughs> I would have brought my dolls or, or whatever. And, or I was playing hide and seek in the church and I had been, you know, reminded, Hey, we don't run in this area or, mm -hmm. um, and I just always felt, I, I mean, sometimes I was, you know, bummed that I got yelled at, but I always felt that people cared and if they didn't care, they wouldn't have said anything. Right. Um, and even when I was older and the, um, and me getting in trouble was not leaving my Barbies in the middle of the choir room or, or something like that. And I had core people and, and important people in my life, whether they were Sunday school teachers or youth leaders or, anybody in the church really that would just say, Hey, are you doing okay? Mm -hmm. are you? And they noticed and they, they extended that, that love and that grace, even when the problems were high school problems or college problems. <laughs> were you a good kid growing up or were you mischievous? Did you get in trouble? Oh, <laughs> gonna say I was a pretty good kid <laughs> I I think I was a good kid growing up I think I think I knew I had so many people that were setting such great examples for for me um and when I think about my childhood I think of helping set out the the hymnals on all the chairs and then collecting them back up at the end of church because that was our job. I remember my best friend down the street was Catholic. And so we would take turns having slumber parties and going to each other's church on Sunday mornings. And so she was just as Cumberland Presbyterian as I was. And I was just as Catholic as she was. <laughs> so I remember stuff like that. And I think, I think I was a pretty good kid though. Was there a moment in time when you were a child or teenager where you felt your relationship with Christ deepen or become significant or have meaning or change? I feel like there's a lot of moments, um, but a couple that really stand out. I remember when I was first old enough to go to camp, my brother was a year older than me and a lot of the people, a lot of the youth and kids in the church were older. And so I had to be the one that waited. And were you excited was, though? Were you looking oh, forward I was to it? So, I was ready to go <laughs> even when I wasn't old enough. And I remember um, 
being at Camp Clark Williamson and we were at night sounds or vespers and just getting to be in that area and hearing all of the sounds of nature and everything and just remembering like okay there's a presence here and 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 I want to get to know that feeling and I want to get to know God more I remember that mm-hmm. and to carry it beyond camp the week of camp mm-hmm. yeah yes um when I was a young adult we went to I went on the um mission trip called Connectados. I went to Colombia with, uh, with several other young adults. And, um, at one of the nights at the retreat, we had communion together and it was a bunch of young adults from the Cumberland Presbyterian church in the United States, as well as in Colombia. And at this evening, we were paired up with somebody that was not from our country and we had community together. And the, I remember the girl that I was with was about my age and um, she didn't speak a lot of English. And even though I studied in school, I was not fluent by any means (laughs) in Spanish. And we shared communion together and it just was this beautiful, sacred moment of realizing like that the kingdom of God is just, just so vast and so beautiful and so just wonderful. But at the same time that the, con- the connection that we have is and the community that we have is undescribable it's it's a core part of my faith and it has maintained a core part of my faith yeah it goes beyond the spoken language yes and yet we still may not have language to kind of describe those experiences to others but we know that it's deepening our faith right it's hard to explain, but it is wonderful and just in, I mean. Were there any more, any more kind of changes, deepening of your faith affirmation that being in relationship with Christ, having, being in discipleship is, is for Emily. It's for you. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on. Um, I, but I think, I think that things like when I was finished, like I said earlier, when I was finishing up college and, and somebody saying, Hey, come to this. Um, I think that just me trying really hard to be present and to say yes to things that might take me a little bit out of my comfort zone, but would be so rewarding in the end. Um, and just trying to be in tune with God on those yeses and nos. Yeah. I think that that can lead you to some pretty extraordinary places. All right. Let's go back to the time. Um, we're recording in December right now. And not too many Decembers ago, you were graduating from college with a degree. That was many Decembers ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what were your plans, you know, a few years ago, several years ago, several hundreds of years ago when I was graduating college, um, that was the thing I, I joked, like I said earlier, I joked about living in a hot air balloon and traveling the world. That was the plan. I, but I really, know, but if, but if you had told me that, I mean, I would, well, as probably most people, they were just too kind. I was like, <laughs> okay, you're putting me off. You I know. know. And why? Yes. So Emily, you're putting me off. Right. And why? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was scared. 
Um, I think that I knew that I was called to something grander than myself. And I had not seen a lot of women do that. Um, I had not, I had seen, I had, I grew up with wonderful pastors and I grew up with wonderful teachers and leaders, but I'd never really truly seen women clergy. Um, and until I started working with Room in the Inn, until I started, um, getting involved with um, General Assembly and going on these mission trips with the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, that was when I really started to get to meet all of these women clergy. And I got to start seeing, I mean, representation matters. And I got to start seeing, oh, I could do this too. Okay. Well, then let's pray on that. Let's figure that out. Let's see what that means for for me. That's pretty cool. I guess I've taken it for granted, but to reframe what you just said, you you witness women in ministry from afar. You know, you were aware, you've seen it, but not like up close, like a a regular example. Right. Until young adulthood where you right. really got to see women in various roles in terms of ministry and, and being great leaders. Right. I got to have wonderful camp counselors that were going through seminary at the time that were women mm. um, and in high school and in college. Um, I got to really start seeing that on a more regular basis than just going to church camp or just um, on a whim, you know, and so getting to see that was altering for me, for sure. Yeah. How'd that make you feel? So you're coming out of college, you know, you, you know, you're being called to something beyond you, greater than you, and you don't know what that is. So how does it feel when you start experiencing and witnessing these little affirmations of like, okay, this is it, you know, was there a pivotal moment? Was there that, that moment of realization of like, okay, I can do this. I now have words to what it is that I'm feeling. Yeah, I, I love puzzles. And I guess I kind of started seeing the puzzle pieces fitting together. Mm -hmm. um, I also knew when we were in Sunday school and I was a young adult, I had wonderful teachers. I always wanted more afterwards. and I. I remember talking to um, my Sunday school teachers and saying, okay, what else though? Like, give me something <laughs> else to, to do, or give me, uh, I need more, I need more, I need more. And, um, and then finally I was told, you know, well, MTS, Memphis Theological Seminary is right here in Memphis. Um, and I had started meeting a lot of students doing groom in the inn and doing burrito ministry and stuff like that. And I thought about applying. This was probably in the new year after school, after I graduated. And um, I started getting more familiar with the community through all of this work. And, um, and I met with admissions. I remember meeting with, um, Barry Anderson and your wife actually at the time. And, um, okay. and we, yeah, I remember meeting with Melissa and talking with them a little bit. And I was just thinking, I just want to learn more. I don't need to be a pastor. I don't, you know, I don't need to do any of that. I just want to know more. I just want to be more educated, more well-versed. And so I started filling out my application one night and um, writing my admissions essay and I put it up for the evening. I went to bed and then I woke up at like one or 2 AM and I could not go back to sleep. And, and I just 
kept feeling God say, no, I want you to do more. I want, I don't want you to just get the masters of art and religion, or I don't want you to just get a master's degree. I want you to do more. Um, and I know this sounds cheesy, but I just heard like, go big or go home, Emily, come on, (laughs) just, you know? And so sure enough, I filled out the rest of the, um, application applying for my MDiv and started that following fall at MTS. Wow. That that's amazing. So you really were approaching a master's degree, just kind of well, the continuation of your undergraduate exploring, just yeah. kind of seeing what's out there. The smorgasbord exactly. of life. Yes. Of- <laughs> yes. Jack, Jill of all trades, if you will. That's, but, uh, that's but pretty, then, pretty yeah. neat. You had, you had that moment before you even turned in your application. That's pretty yeah. neat. I didn't realize the timeline either. I didn't know that, um, uh, my wife was working at, at the seminary at the time that you were applying. Yeah. And that was another one of the examples for me of, oh, girls do this. Okay, cool. Let's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So. (laughs) Okay. Well, how did you meet Ryan, your husband? Uh, So. And, and I don't know this story. I, I I I know. Um, well, there's a couple, we've met a couple of times before it kind of stuck. Um, (laughs) where did you meet at first meet him? First meeting we met, um, he he decided to follow his call to ministry, and he moved from a little town called Smithville, Tennessee, um, and came to Millington, Tennessee, to be the youth leader at West Union Cumberland Presbyterian Church while he started his seminary journey. Mm-hmm. So the first meeting was actually at Cam Clark Williamson. Um, I was there to be a counselor for junior high and it was literally his first day moving to Millington from middle Tennessee area. And he came up with the pastor and dropped off the kids and my youth leader from growing up who was also the director of the camp. And she said, y'all need to, you just need to just come on. Like, I know you're moving, but just come this week. You'll have a great time. And she's like, tell him, tell him, Emily. And I just said, yeah, come on. I don't know who you are, but sure. That'd be great. Camp's awesome. And he kind of looked at both of these crazy ladies. Like, uh, I'm, my parents are back at the, the church man's moving me in. I have to go <laughs> unpack my house and my life before I, <laughs> I can go to camp for a week. So that was kind of our first meeting. But when we really met was one of our really good friends. His name is Micah Watson. He's also a pastor. And Micah and Ryan have been childhood best friends since like first grade and Micah is also a preacher's kid and so when Micah's family moved to West Tennessee area I met him in high school and then we went through seminary together all the things and so Ryan and I met at Micah's wedding Ryan was the best man and I always there's I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere how (laughs) He's the best man. Um, But we met at the reception and I realized, oh, yeah, you just moved to the area. I was trying to be nice. And he thinks I was trying to, you know, give him my number and stuff. And I was like, no, I'm really just trying to be nice. But since then, it just became what it is. um, We realized how much um, we both have just a deep call to, to, not just ministry, but also um, ministry outside the church. And so um, the rest was history, I guess. That's what you say. So what's it like to be married to clergy, married to someone who is a minister of the word and sacraments, and you 
also as well. Do your gifts complement each other? Are they very distinct? Are they, do they overlap? What does it look like? I'm always intrigued by uh, clergy couples. I think that our gifts um, complement each other. When we first were married, we were both at two different churches. I was at Colonial Cumberland Presbyterian as the associate, and he was at West Union as the youth leader while he was going through seminary. And I, um, it was hard for us to not have that time of worship together as newlywed couple, mm-hmm. um, because it is a big part of our lives. And when we moved to Allsboro about two years ago, we, um, I was still working at Colonial. It was in the pandemic. Wouldn't recommend moving in a pandemic, but you know, <laughs> when God says go, you go. And um, Ryan was working at Allsboro as the head pastor. And after about a year, we realized I can't, I can't keep up my job in Memphis while I live two hours away, especially as churches are opening back up. And so we, we did some soul searching and we talked with the session at Allsboro and said, would there be potential for a call for Emily here? Um, and I had already kind of been helping with leading worship, singing songs because they worshiped at a different time. Um, I'd been helping with the kids and the youth. And so this past January, we started working together as um, co-pastoring together. Um, He's the head pastor and I'm the associate. All right. So you're, you're a year into it almost. Yes. And, and, you know, we've worked together for a year and I think we've done okay. (laughs) I I was about to ask, um, what have you learned about yourself, about your marriage, and about doing ministry that complements each other. And you get to speak for a whole host of people. You get to speak for Ryan, and you get to speak <laughs> for the Allsboro Church. <laughs> no pressure. Um, <laughs> but I, let's start with you. I mean, your take, your perspective. My perspective is... I feel very rejuvenated that we get to worship together on a Sunday morning. And I feel beyond grateful that we get to collaborate together and we do get to complement each other. Um, There are, Ryan is a wonderful preacher. He's a wonderful teacher when it comes to Bible study and Um, He has a theological brain that is just the size of Texas. I, on the other hand, am more um, like sitting down and talking to somebody one-on-one or um, I love the pastoral aspects. That's where I shine, I feel like. And so I think that we complement each other very well. And I think, I hope that Ryan and Allsboro would agree with that. Um, There have been, you know, times where you've noticed as a clergy couple, you live together, you work together, um, that you might need to have your own time. And so things like ministry with Room in the Inn, like that is where I get to be an individual um, more so. And Ryan has other aspects where he gets to be an individual more so than just the the dream team. Yeah, you're right because because you have gifts that can be shared that don't necessarily complement your spouse, your partner, and you also probably have needs that need to be expressed or affirmed or recognized where it isn't Emily and Ryan or Ryan and Emily. It's Emily came and did this. Emily shared this. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Well, what am I saying? 
I can live that. <laughs> you don't? Don't you already live that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want I don't want to speak for my wife. <laughs> what do you think the Cumberland Presbyterian Church will look like in ten years? What will what will our denomination look like in in terms of mission and ministry? If you had a seeing eye that could leap into the future, what do you think it would look like? There's no wrong answer because no one knows. Right. No one knows. Um, I can say what I hope for okay. our our denomination. I hope that we um I hope that congregations start to get back the people that we have maybe lost track of or lost over COVID times. I hope that people feel safe and feel that need for community and congregational ministry. I hope that we um, also in the same, in the same time, I hope that the church continues and in addition to adds goes outside of the four walls of the church um, and reminds and remembers that the kingdom of God is all around. It's not just in these four walls and that we need to meet other children of God outside of these four walls. As somebody who has grown up in a suburban congregation and served in an urban congregation, and now is serving in a more rural-type congregation. What advice do you have for each of those types of congregations of getting outside the walls to do mission and ministry? Because you have a unique perspective or unique life experience, and it, and really a unique ministry experience that can help these congregations that want to do just what you said, they just don't know where to begin. Right. I think that growing up in the more suburban church setting, um, Pastor Jim Ratliff was my pastor when I was high school and on, and he always talked about turning the walls inside out turning the church walls inside out. And that was one of his big, um, big mottos, I guess. And, and that was really important for me to hear in high school and as a young adult, because a lot of times people go to college and they don't come back because they don't feel like they can relate. Um, and I, and then when I moved on to colonial, Cumberland Presbyterian Church, which was the urban ministry, they they not only turned their walls inside out, they wore their building out, helping and serving and loving people in the community, people in the city. Um, it wasn't about that congregation gave and gave and gave, and it wasn't about um, keeping up the nice, pristine church. You can't, you know, you can't put things on walls unless you use certain type of tape or whatever. It wasn't about that. It was about, oh, you need the space. We've got the space. Come on. Mm. And um, and then here, I've realized that at Allsboro, they do such a wonderful job of taking care and meeting the needs of their community more even before like the needs are voiced they mm -hmm. are so good at caring for one another and caring for the community even without being asked without being and so I think that continuing those things of of remembering that the church is outside the steps when you get done on Sunday mornings, remembering that this building is a tool for us to use to welcome others in and to 
wear out and remembering that we need to be alert and we need to listen and we need to pay attention to our our brothers and sisters and recognizing the needs even before they are mentioned. And I know that that's a lot, but I think that I know that that is so much, but I think if we can bottle up all of those things, and I think that if churches in whatever population they're in can just remember that the church is more than just that one hour on Sunday morning. I think that who knows how many blessings will come from that. Well, when you gave three distinct situations, three very distinct congregations, and they all respond to mission and ministry in a different way, So it's not like a congregation has to encapsulate all of those. It's just kind of find your voice, find your identity, find your niche, find your gift and your passion, and then go do that really, really well for others. I think that in this current world that we live in, a lot of churches feel like they have to be all of it or they can't do any of it. And I think that something that is really important is to realize like, no, if your congregation and if your church does this really well, then you do that really well. Mm -hmm. And you don't try to pick up something else that you can only do sort of kind of (laughs) maybe. Right. Right. But you know, individually, uh, you're right. As a, community we do that individually we do as well um you know i do think of the vocation of of ministry for example where you know a minister feels like they have to be the best preacher the best administrator the best theologian and the best pastor mm-hmm. and if you can do one of those like at 70% then you're you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure there's people that would argue with me, but you know, in all honesty, if you can, if you can nab one of those, I'd, I'd say run with it and then surround yourself with great people who may be able to do some of the other ones really well and, and were better than you. Yes. And recognize in, in yourself, recognize the things that you feel very called to and that you feel comfortable in, but also recognize the things that you might need to work on a little bit or practice. Right. And, right. And be okay with that. Yeah. Well, I was chuckling because I don't, I think I could work very hard, but my gift of music is <laughs> where it is and, and where it's always been. And you certainly do not want to be leading music. Uh, or singing. But you uh, could surround yourself with lovely voices if you want to. <laughs> by golly, I have a wonderful index finger that can push play. And I have the <laughs> dexterity to be able to move a volume knob up and down. Sounds good. For music, yeah. <laughs> well, you've had, I know at least two people that have had a great impact on your faith. So let's talk about those two and then we can expand on. But, um, I know your mom and dad, um, gotten to know them over the years and, um, they would shake me if we didn't bring them up in terms of the parents that they are and how they've impacted your faith. So let's start there. Talk about your mom and dad and how they've shaped you. And then let's add other people. Okay. Well, um, my parents are Charlie and Beth Trapp, and they have been members of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church for my whole life. And um, they are the reason why I, um, they're a big part of the reason why I am where I'm at. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, they <laughs> they were why I was at the church when the doors were open, and even when um, other people weren't at the church. Um, my father is currently the session clerk of of my home church, and my mom is on the session of my home church, and they both have completely different faith journeys, but they are both pillars, I guess, in my life. And my father is, um, he's so wise and he always knows more about theology, about um, scriptures than you he surprises me every time. Um, he is just a wise, wise guy. And my mom is someone who her prayer life is always surprising for me. Her, um, when I was in my early twenties, my brother, my older brother went to, to on tour in Afghanistan in the army. And seeing my mom take that, take one of her two kids being a world away and struggle with it, but also give it to God was just one of the most inspiring situations and humbling situations. And it just sets such a great example for, for me and for others around her. Um, and so they, yeah, they're pretty awesome. (laughs) They have been a big part for me. Um, how are they a part of your faith and of your ministry now? Um, you're an adult, they're adults, you're in ministry. How are they feeding your faith and your journey? So my mom is a big, um, she loves kids. She, um, she probably could have been a really great like preschool teacher or something. And so every (laughs) once in a while, she'll send me a link to some, um, like Bible lesson for children, or I thought you would like this for your kids. Or, um, she, she constantly is sending me things or, you know, reminding me, I mentioned prayer earlier. She constantly is reminding me like, Hey, I need you to pray for this. What, you know, and, and I'm a lot, you know, I also send her things, Hey, pray for this. And we have that relationship. Um, they're both very proud of me and I never doubt that. And, um, things like, I just started at Room in the Inn of the Shoals. My dad was like, okay, when do I get a t-shirt so I can wear <laughs> um, and support you like that um, and show off what my daughter does. Um, but even now we talk often about the church. We talk often about my church, their church. Um, we're on Facebook. And so they watch our church after they get home from theirs. Um, just very supportive parents. Yeah, it, it's been interesting to kind of watch over the years as I've gotten to know them that even in adulthood, you know, they, they you know, raise you up and, and you know, really admire um, you and your ministry and what you're doing. All right, let's, were there others besides your mom and your dad? So one of the, um, one of the bigger mentors for me um, with women clergy has been Lisa Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, she was who I met um, my um finishing up college and it's funny because we could have met several times before that's how the Cumberland Presbyterian Church works right Right. and um and to watch her and to work with her over the past eight ten years um I've been fortunate enough to 
um, have her as a mentor, to pastor with her, mm-hmm. and to also just be really great friends with her. And that's just been wonderful um, to watch and to learn from her. Um, her husband, Barry, as well. Um, they're just incredible people. Um, Ryan has been, of course, a big, a big part of my life and, uh, and his family, his grandmother, who is the matriarch of his family, she is the secretary and the organ player for Smithville Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Mm. And she's been doing that forever. And Ryan comes from a completely different background of a huge family. And for her to be um, kind of the the cornerstone in that family and to have her welcome me in with open arms over the years and to learn from her and to see her faith and her grace and love as a lay member, as a leader in her own right and has just been wonderful as well. All right. Let's talk about books, music, movies, any of these that have impacted your faith. We're moving from people over to over to books and music and movies. Okay. One of my favorite praise songs um is lord i need you by matt mayer um how does that go i'm being serious do not make me sing that. <laughs> <laughs> um isn't that one of your gifts either <laughs> it it is actually i can't believe i didn't say this but both of my parents sing and they taught me to sing and we um at the church growing up we were always singing as a quartet for Christmas events, or um, my dad leads the music at his church now. I lead the music here. That was a big thing, but um, but I'm not going to sing that. Um, but it basically is a, a prayer for Lord. For for it says, Lord, I need you. God, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh Lord, how I need you. And that's it's just a prayer. It kind of reminds me. Um, ministry can be lonely sometimes. And um, one of my favorite verses is at the end of the Great Commission, where it says, remember, I'm with you till the end of the age. And I just have such comfort in that because um, even if I feel alone, I'm not. And so uh, that song's really big for me because it just kind of calms me. It makes me remember that I'm not alone, that, um, that if I'm doing something that I'm a little nervous about, um, like right now, like right now, I'll (laughs) sing it. Um, I sang it before this. I listened to that before this because, um, it just reminds me why I'm doing it. Um, why I'm, um, why I do what I do every day. So that's a big one. Okay, any other music? No, I was going to say movies, though. Um, the movie in Encanto <laughs> is a Disney movie. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing working with Milton, you've heard about this movie several times. But nice. um, Encanto is a wonderful movie from Disney, um, and it's in Colombia. And... But also the family aspect of it, the communal aspect of it, the um, everybody has a part and um, we all come together with our gifts to um, to make the world a better place, to make the kingdom more present here on this earth. Um, so that's a, that it's a cute new movie and I really love it and I like to sing with it. And yeah, it's a fun one. How about books? And besides the Bible, I've asked that before and I I don't remember which guest it was, but they were like, you know, the Bible, of course. Why are you asking me this? Well, the confession of faith, obviously. (laughs) Um, No, I'm teasing. Um, 
But um, <laughs> for me, I really like Rachel Held Evans. Mm-hmm. Searching for Sunday was a really great book. I love Anne Lamont. Anne Lamont. Uh, Travel Mercies was a good one. Um, pretty open. I, I like to read um, a fair amount. I'm a big reader, movie watcher, TV watcher. So, um, but those, those really stand out. Those. Do you get to balance your reading you know, for pleasure and then reading for study? Yes, I try to. Um, I try to. I had to take a brief um, break from reading for study after seminary. But now that I've been out for a few years, um, the past couple of years, I've started adding in more. Um, yeah, I, I, I've done that. Go back to reread maybe something that was yes. required. Right. You know, now it's, it's no longer required. And you get a different take from it. It's kind of like when you do when you read the Bible um, and you find a, something else in the verse that you didn't catch the five hundred other times you've read that verse or right. whatever. Right. So. Yeah, kind of like you were sharing about the Great Commission. Yeah, it's been there, but I haven't really considered the last verse in the way that you have. You know, I guess it's more on the sending. Yeah. Go 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 go. You know. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, that reminder, Hey, I, you know, it's almost like grabbing your, you know, your shirt tail. Wait, 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 before you go, don't forget PS. Remember I'm always with you. (laughs) Yes. I really like that. Um, let's see. So we covered books, um, movies, music. What else, Emily? Uh, I'm trying to think. Any words of wisdom? No. Words of faith. Um, one of the big things for me is even with all of the great movies and TV and music in the world, I just go back to one of the things that I need the most is to have that time with God. And one of my main things that I just kind of rest on is walking my dog, um, and just having that time outside. Thankfully, we live in a beautiful part of Alabama where it's all hilly and um, we get to be in nature. And if I don't have that walk with God, um, turn off the music just to walk to hear the noises of the world and um, to listen for God, then I'm miserable. <laughs> and I've noticed that it affects me when it's cold like today and I can't go out and <laughs> go on that walk with God. But. Do you use that time to listen or to speak to God? It depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Some days um, I use that as my prayer time where I'm asking or lamenting depending on the day. And sometimes where I have gratitude and I'm just so grateful for where we're at. And sometimes it's listening and saying, Lord, just smack me on the head with it. Tell me what you need. (laughs) Emily, thank you for sharing your afternoon with me. I've, (laughs) I've, I've enjoyed, I learned new things about you and, um, Thank you for blending your faith journey with your calling as well. And I think it's important for us to be thinking about our ministry, whether we're lay or ordained, and how that can impact people through uh, the scriptures and approaching others who may believe or live differently than we do. And that sometimes is hard. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this has been a wonderful time to talk and <laughs> get to know each other better. Yes. And you had nothing to be nervous about. It was <laughs> fine. You've done fine. 
Well, thank you, Emily. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Cumberland Road. It's been about two and a half years since Cumberland Road started. Prior to that, I didn't know much about podcasting. I had to learn how to record, how to edit, how to upload and publish. It was a steep learning curve for me. But I want to say thank you. Thank you for your encouragement, for listening, and for sharing this podcast with others. I want to thank all the previous guests and their patience, their kindness of giving of themselves and waiting for me to learn, to know what it is that I'm doing and how to ask questions, how to be in conversation, how to be in dialogue. It is because of you, the listener and the guest, that Cumberland Road is a podcast that is reaching many people. And I am grateful, grateful for the opportunity to talk about God and to talk about the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. In closing, from the Confession of Faith for Cumberland Presbyterians, it says, The Church, being nurtured and sustained by worship, by proclamation and study of the Word, and by the celebration of the sacraments, is commissioned to witness to all persons who have not received Christ as Lord and Savior.